Speaking of announcements, John made one. John, a long time ago, uh, uh, thousands of years ago. And John, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I hope you were intrigued by the announcements I made, but not a one of them can compare to the announcement John made. You can find it. It's located in John chapter 1, verse 29. We're going to camp out there just for a little while tonight. That's all we'll cover. John chapter 1, verse 29, and you'll see this marvelous declaration made some 2,000 years ago. Here's how it begins. The next day, so that's a time indicator, the next day, and so that forces you to pause and ask yourself the question, the next day after what? Well, if you were with us last week, you remember we spoke about what happened on the prior day. Jewish religious leaders from Jerusalem sent an investigative body to find John the baptizer so as to hear from him whether or not he was the Messiah. There was a messianic expectation in that day, sadly, uh, much more significantly so than in our day. And the religious leaders heard of this John, Yohanan in Hebrew, performing all kinds of dramatic deeds and saying very striking things. And so they wanted to find out if, in fact, he was the Messiah. So they sent this delegation from Jerusalem consisting of priests and Levites, and they put this question rather directly to John. They said, are you the Messiah? And John, without hesitation, of course, he denied that. He did not take advantage of the opportunity to call undue attention to himself. He said, no, I am not the Messiah. And so that's what happened on the prior day. On the prior day, John said, I'm not the Messiah. And when pressed to indicate who he was, remember what he said? I'm a, I'm a voice. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Remove any obstacles between you and he. Obstacles of uh, apathy, indecision, doubt, unbelief. Remove obstacles. Make the way straight for the Lord, uh, not denying him direct access to your hearts. That's what John said. So that happened on the prior day, and now after that day, we read, it is the next day. And he and the he is a reference not to John, the writer of this gospel. The he is a reference here to John, the one who baptized. This is a reference to John, the baptizer. He saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, folks, the people of Israel in that day and even ours we're very familiar with the concept of lambs being offered as sacrifices for sins. In fact, when a temple stood in Jerusalem, if you, an individual Israelite, transgressed the law of Moses, you would bring an unblemished lamb to the temple precincts. And this was money in the bank. That was a valuable commodity. You would bring it, and you would be instructed by the priest to lay your hands upon it. You would. And you would utter a prayer something like this. You would say, O oh, thou great God, 
please accept the sacrifice of this innocent living being in my place for my sin. And the priest would guide you in reciting that prayer and then the, the blood of that unblemished lamb would be shed for a covering for sin for the individual. But then there was a holiday known as Pesach or Passover. You've heard about it. God said, take a lamb and apply its blood to the doorposts of your homes. And when the angel of death sees the blood applied by faith to the doorposts of your home, the angel of death will pass over. Death will pass over. See, that's where the name Passover came. So notice this. First, a lamb was sacrificed for the sins of an individual. Then notice the progression. Then a lamb was sacrificed to provide a covering for the sins of the family dwelling in the house covered by blood. Then there's a third Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And on this day, it was really, really, really a special, it's the holiest day even to this day in the Jewish calendar. Uh, on this day and this day only, the high priest would enter not just the holy place in the temple, but the place called the Holy of Holies. It was denied access to everyone, but the high priest, and only on this occasion, and he would go in, and it was so holy, a rope would be tied to his ankles, and there would be bells on uh, his garment. So as he ministered in the Holy of Holies, the people outside, as long as they heard the noise, the bells, they knew uh, God did not strike him dead. His intercession on the half uh, on behalf of the people had not been refused. But if the bells stopped, you see, they're not allowed to go in there to see what was going on. They would have imagined God did not accept his ministrations on behalf of the people, and they would pull him out by the rope, you see. They weren't able to go in there. So, so if, his, uh, if his intercessory work was acceptable on behalf of the people, uh, the high priest would go between holy God and sinful Israel, plead on their behalf and sacrifice, an, again, an unblemished male lamb, uh, spread its blood in a very, very precise and uh, uh, specific way and ask God to forgive the sins of the people. And so notice the progression. First, a lamb is sacrificed to cover for the sins of one person. And then on Passover, a lamb is sacrificed to provide atonement for the sins of a whole family. Then on Yom Kippur, a lamb is sacrificed to provide forgiveness and atonement for the entire nation of Israel. Can you see the progression? And now, look what John says. Knowing all this, and in keeping with all this, notice what John proclaims in this verse. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, look, the sin of of the world, not just a person, not just a family, not just Hebrews. Look what the Lamb did. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Can you see how God is building on that which is old and familiar and bringing it to its ultimate expression? Look at how expansive is the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody need be excluded from the work of the Lamb of God. 
In fact, in this regard, someone said, the lost will not prove to be lost because Christ did nothing for them. <laughs> no, no one will be able to claim that. He did all that is necessary for anyone in any time to be saved. Behold, the Lamb of God, says John, who takes away the sin of the world. Folks, the saving work of Christ is sufficient uh, to provide forgiveness of every sin ever committed by every sinner in every time and in every place. He is the all-sufficient one. So, am I saying uh, that all people based on the work of Christ, are going to be saved. That's called universal salvation. Maybe, maybe you've heard that term, universal salvation, meaning when you die, uh, everyone goes to heaven. And if you go to funerals, it's very fascinating to me, or watch them on TV. No matter how much the deceased is a reprobate, somehow everyone's going to heaven. And the ones make, making this claim are are reprobates themselves. You, you, because they so underestimate the holiness of God and because they so underestimate the extent to which we have violated it, they think God grades on a curve. He doesn't give, he didn't give us 10 commandments, he gave us 10 suggestions, you know what I mean? And so everyone's gonna make it to heaven. Uh, and, and that's called universal salvation. Am I saying that? Absolutely not. We're not saying that everybody will be saved. Sadly, we are saying that everybody who accepts Jesus Christ will be saved. Can you hear the difference? That's the point. Everyone who accepts. Now, I know there are people today who say, you Christians, you Bible people are so narrow. My heavens, how intolerant you are to say only Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Yeah, but I think the thing that ought to grip us is not the narrowness of the plan of salvation, but that God has any way at all by which we can be saved. Do you realize the extent to which we have offended him? He made us in his own image. Did you know that? He gave us a mind to think about him and a heart to love him. He gave us a will to obey him. And what do we use it for? We use our, our hearts to love other people. We use our hearts to love cars or, or athletic teams. We use our minds only to focus on human reason and maybe the uh, obtaining of a college degree. These aren't wrong, but we exhaust all our resources. We use our will to do what we want to do. If it feels good, do it. You know, that kind of deal. But God has been offended by all that. He distinguished us by making us in his own image to know him in a very personal way. And we essentially said, hanging on your beak. We essentially told God, thank you, but no thank you. We would rather be an independent agent. That's essentially what we said. Now, God would have been justified in wiping us all out and just said, you know, I've, that's it. I've had enough. So that God has any way for anyone to be saved. It's a testimony to the uh, unfathomable grace of God. So, yeah, Jesus is the way. He's the way for anyone to be saved, but he's the only way anybody uh, can be saved. So John lifted up his voice to tell people about this. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'll bet if I repeat this enough, we'll have it memorized before we leave here. Want to try it? Look at it. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, that's enough for you to lead someone to Christ with. Just that one verse. So, so John was proclaiming it. Notice, 
uh, John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. I mentioned to you the Israelites were familiar with lambs, but not like this. Lambs were brought by people to people, but this lamb is different. This is God's lamb sent by God to people. This, Jesus, is the Lamb of God. Now, today there's much speculation about the person of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? People are writing about him, and people are talking about him, and speculating and philosophizing about him, but you don't really know a thing. I don't care how many degrees you have after your name and how intelligent you are and well-educated. You don't really know a thing about Christ until you see him as the lamb slain for your personal sin. You don't know a thing about him until you know him in his uh, prim primary and prominent role. Behold the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Now, how does he do this? How does he take away our sin? Well, he takes away our sin by taking our sin upon himself. That's what he did. It's extraordinary. You know how he could have dealt with our sin? He could have taken away our sin by taking away the sinner. But he did not. He took away our sin by taking our sin upon himself. Martin Luther said, sin has but two places where it may be. Either it may be with you so that it lies upon your neck or upon Christ, the Lamb of God. I'm so grateful that I was enabled by faith, invited <laughs> to transfer the load of my sin onto the innocent shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ as sin bearer. They're not on my shoulders anymore. They need not be on yours either. In a similar vein, Charles Spurgeon said, if it is not punished in Christ for you, it will be punished in you for yourselves. I'm so glad I will not be punished for my sin because Jesus paid it all. Have you ever thought about what we're saved from? I like to say I'm saved. I'm redeemed. That vocabulary is not old to me. It's still beautiful to me. I'm not lost. I am saved. But saved from what? Well, I'll tell you from what. From the wrath of God. That's what. Saved from the wrath of God. Uh, and therefore, we need not fear his wrath or what will come when we stand before him in the future. If our sin, as Spurgeon said, is not punished in Christ for you, it will be punished in you for yourselves. But there's no need for that to happen. Since, as John so boldly declared, behold, say it with me, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And notice in this one verse, he not only bore our sin, notice uh, the text says he takes it away. He took away our sin. Now, this is important. We get a glimpse or a foreshadowing of this uh, by looking to the holiday I mentioned, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. If you're interested in reading more about it, you can find information in Leviticus chapter 23. But let me tell you just briefly what happened on this day. The high priest took two male goats on Yom Kippur. One was offered as a blood sacrifice at the temple for sin. The other was assigned a name, Azazel, which means the scapegoat. The high priest laid his hands on Azazel, the scapegoat, and as he did, he recited a confession of sin 
on behalf of all of Israel. And then a subordinate priest took this scapegoat over a bridge and about 12 miles from the temple in Jerusalem into the wilderness. There he paused with the goat on the precipice of a ravine, and he pushed the goat over the edge, watching it plummet to its death. The goat is dead. When this happened, news of the scapegoat was relayed back to the temple where the whole population was awaiting this news, it was relayed back by a series of messengers all waving flags. It was a time of celebration and rejoicing. Everyone was rejoicing. Why? Because the sin bearer would never return with the sin. The scape, the one, the innocent living thing that was scapegoated for the sins of the people would never haunt them again. Their sin was so taken away, it would never ever interfere with their relationship with God anymore. And they rejoiced over this. The scapegoat could never find its way back. It's pushed over the edge into the valley. It is dead. It is over and done with. And the people rejoiced over this. And folks, doesn't this foreshadow the more marvelous sacrificial work of Jesus, the Lamb of God? He did not merely die for our sins, you see. He took them far away from us. I memorized this verse some time ago. It's in Psalm 103, verse 2. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. So if you travel from Houston uh, to New York. I don't know why you would want to, but if you traveled from Houston to New York, what direction are you going in? Yeah, you're going east. And if you travel, let's just say, from New York to London, what direction? East. And if you travel from London to Tokyo, what direction are you going in? East. And if you travel from Tokyo to Anchorage, Alaska, what direction? And, and if you travel from Anchorage back home here to Houston, what direction are you traveling in? Don't you see? East never meets west. That's the point of that passage. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And the foreshadowing of it was Azazel, the scapegoat. So for you and me who allow the evil one, the accuser of the brethren, to drag us back into the past, remember when you did this? Remember when you said that? You need to say, I need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. For Jesus did not just die for my sin. He took them away. There's another passage in the Bible that says God has cast all our sin behind his back. It's a poetic expression. Does it mean God doesn't know what's there? Well, sure, God doesn't forget in the sense in which we forget. It just means he's not going to go back there and retrieve that which once separated us. Therefore, why should we? I'm not going to go behind God's back. That's where he cast all my sin. And I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to go back there and say, oh, God, I know you want to bless me, but you may have forgotten what a creep I am. Here's a little evidence of it. Remember when three years ago I did, forget three years, remember when three minutes ago I did such and such? Oh, no, 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 no. God is never going to ever, ever bring back what once divided us. He's taken it away. It's no longer an issue, folks, you see. So that's why no matter what has happened to you or I, no matter what we've done, we have to leave this place head up, shoulders back. If Jesus 
is the Lamb of God. We've taken him personally as our Savior. We leave as if we're absolutely forgiven. He does not see us to be that sinner anymore. He sees us to be a son or daughter adopted by grace. Oh, I love the song Bill sang, the theme being grace. Folks, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. Behold the Lamb of God. He didn't just bear our sin. Who takes away the sin of the world. The Day of Atonement was marvelous, but not that hot. You know why? It takes place every year, even now. It's one of the high holidays in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement. You know what that means? It just provided temporary relief. It wasn't a permanent solution to sin. Good night. The people have to do this every year. They have to repent, and they have to fast, and, and do all manner of things to try to impress God with their interest in changing their life's direction. That's take place every year. So the lambs that were offered and sacrificed on the first Yom Kippur had to be offered the second, the third, and all the rest. The blood of bulls and goats, don't you see, could not take away sin. They temporarily covered sin. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, he took away sin once and for all. As the scapegoat went off, and over the edge, bearing the sins of the people, so too has our Lord taken away the guilt of our sin. Someone wrote this. I really don't know who. I wish I did, but at least just to be sure, I, I didn't write it. I found it, but it's beautiful. Listen, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain but Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. We don't need an endless succession of the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus paid it all. And when he finished, he sat down. It is finished. This is the all-sufficient atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took our sin upon himself, and then he took our sins away. They'll never be brought back again. They'll never be brought up again. They will never separate us from God again. Now, because of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, did is so wonderful, John spent all of his days seeking to persuade people to look to him. So he said, behold, take a look. Behold, consider Jesus, the Lamb of God. Folks, that's how we should spend our days. Can you please tell me what else makes sense today except to be an ambassador for Christ? You tell me. I mean, it is. Brother, here's another Spanish word. It is a loco day. Did I do okay? It's a crazy day. Are you kidding me? I don't even know what to say. It's the most degraded election process I've ever seen. It's, it's carnival-like. We're the United States of America. I pledge allegiance to the flag, but it's being desecrated by clown-like behavior. You tell me what makes sense today. Crazy bathrooms according to who you think you are when you woke up that morning. Today I feel like a woman, therefore I go... Today I feel like a cat, therefore I need you to supply kitty litter. I mean, it's local. 
But I'll tell you what gives a reason to be, to get up in the morning, to be enthused. I'll tell you what defines our purpose and what uh, helps us to say, oh, God, thank you for letting me be here for such a time as this, is to do just what John did with the remainder of his life, is to be a proclaimer of this simple message. Hey, friend. Hey, neighbor. Hey, fellow student. Hey, hey, behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe he has taken away your sin? Yeah, yeah. I hope you know this. Do you believe Jesus has taken away your sin? How, do, how, do, how does one such as you come into such a great salvation, the likes of which we're describing? It's, listen, we look to Jesus, that's how, as personal Savior. We do just what John said. We behold the Lamb of God slain. Yeah, for the sins of the world, and I'm a member of the world, therefore slain for my sin as well. You know, some behold Christ and see him only to be a good teacher. Oh, my. Others look to Christ and see him to be a social reformer. They think they're paying him a compliment by reducing him only to that. Others behold Christ and they seem to be a, uh, a fine moral example to follow, but they're not seeing him for who he essentially is. Behold the Lamb of God, that's who he is, who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John declared. I wanted to come up with a way whereby in this day I could declare it with as much frequency and boldness as John did. So, I don't know, I came up with 40 simple words. 40 <laughs> simple words. And I would just, oh man, my kingdom, if they could just magically appear on the screen right now. Oh man, what a great church this is. Uh, this is what I use to get conversation going. I, I, I tell people after speaking with them, hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. Some of you have committed to memory these words and have shared with me the joy you've had of sharing them with people this week, and uh, uh, that's our identity. We're ambassadors for Christ. Whatever else may be true in this crazy day, this is most true. Uh, God is, uh, he's actually begging people through us, be reconciled to God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Take Jesus as your personal Savior, and he will take away your sin. I was a new Christian, and uh, I was given a book, I don't remember by who, it was called The Master's Plan of Evangelism. Not a big one, like this. Had profound impact on my life. The author spoke about the Lord's strategy, which wasn't just to add converts uh, to the church, but to multiply disciples. And therefore, the Lord, though he met the needs of 5,000 who were hungry and stuff like that, notice he only trained up a few. It wasn't the 5,000 who perpetuated the faith in his absence. It, it was just the, the man he trained, the disciples. You see what I mean? So I thought, ooh, that strategy, I love that. I could do that. I can't lead thousands to the Lord. That's not who I am. 
But I could, I could take, I, I, I could try to build into the life of a few who will build into the life of a few others and so on and so forth. In other words, multiplying disciples. The author of the book, The Master's Plan of Evangelism, I commend it to your reading if you can lay your hands on it somehow. Uh, the author is a, a, a fellow named Robert Coleman. Robert Coleman. Oh, I held him in such high esteem. My goodness, he was a giant. Such wonderful insights. And uh, his, his recognition of the Lord's strategy was so captivating to me. And then look how good God was. Years later, I went to seminary. Years after this, I went to seminary. And in seminary, you're assigned a faculty advisor. It's at random from a human point of view, who do you think my faculty advisor was? Dr. Robert Coleman. Are you kidding me? I mean, I was just like a, a starstruck little kid for crying out loud. And I got to sit uh, in the office of Dr. Robert Coleman with five or six other seminarians uh, as he ministered to us and poured out his wisdom upon us and, and even autographed the book that I, I asked him. I asked him to do that. Well, well anyway, Robert Coleman uh, has written many, many, many books. And in one of the books, he uh, told this story. A boy had a sister, young boy, young little sister. She needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained to the young boy that his sister had the same disease he had two years ago, but is now over. And the doctor said her best chance the boy's sister's best chance of survival would be to receive his blood because they had uh, a rare kind of a blood. And the doctor asked the young boy, would you be willing to do this? And he paused and thought about it. And then he said, absolutely, yes, I, I will. She is my sister. And so the transfusion took place. Here's this little frail little girl looking across the table. They're connected by tubes to her brother. Uh, both, of course, terrified at the time. And the transfusion was a, a success. And at the end of it, the little boy looked to the doctor and said to him, Doctor, when do I die? And the doctor realized, oh, my goodness. The young boy thought in giving his blood, it meant giving his life. And he was willing to do that, even for his own sister, but didn't need to. Folks, I have to tell you, each of us here has a condition far more serious, an affliction far more desperate than that which the little girl had. And our affliction requires much more than a blood transfusion. It requires the uh, poured out blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. It's just that serious an affliction. And this Jesus was willing, more than willing, not only to give his blood, but to give his life that you and I might live eternally as forgiven ones. Dear folks, please say it with me in closing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done for ones such as us. Whatever else is true, this is most true. You suffered and died for our sins. You didn't merely bear them. You took them entirely away, pronouncing upon us a new status. Oh, God, we thank you for elevating us to the position of sons and daughters 
royalty, members of your family. We're very, very grateful. And, oh God, with you, we're jealous for more brothers and sisters. Would you give us this holy boldness as John had to make this marvelous announcement to people in one way or the other as we cross paths. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Lord Jesus, if there be any here tonight who know of Jesus as the Lamb who's taken away the sin of the world but has never invited Jesus to take away their sin, I pray tonight would be the night. In this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.